going to speak to you this morning, hopefully encouraging, hopefully equipping. Um, I'll let you be the judge of that. But God has already encouraged us this morning. He wants to impact us with his presence. And he wants to draw us into his presence. And the preaching of the word isn't just that somebody comes along and entertains us with a talk. It's an interactive thing where you engage in your heart and in your spirit with the delivery of the preached word. Because we can preach something and it can be good and God can promise us things. But if we don't receive it with faith, we don't inherit those promises. When the people of Israel had promises given to them... They were great and excellent promises, but they didn't receive them with faith. And so they didn't enter into what was promised. It was left for another generation. So I just kind of throw that out there for your edification, your exhortation, and your encouragement. And I'm going to preach this morning from John chapter 14 and verse 12. And I'm going to read you from the New International Version If you've got the 1984 version, it will be a little bit different because I've got the 2011. So if if you're reading from the New International, you're thinking, it doesn't say that. Well, it's because it's the 2011. So there you go. And Jesus says this. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I've got three points this morning. Well, I've got an introduction. Everything's an I this morning. I've got an introduction. I'm going to tell you about the importance of this statement. I'm going to encourage you a little bit with the inclusiveness of the statement. And then we're going to look at the impact of the statement, and then we're going to finish with a little bit of impartation. So, ooh, already some of you are kind of thinking, ooh, I like the sound of that. Others of you are thinking, I'm just not sure about that. It's not sure about some of this weird and wacky stuff that goes along with impartation. Actually, it's, it's irrelevant. Weird, it's not weird and wacky. It's doing the work. We want the works of Jesus to impact our nation to impact other nations, because in 150 years' time, if Jesus hasn't come back, we don't just want people to reflect on, wasn't that good that people gave their money, that we had the granary in Worcester? But granary, Joseph built a granary because the nations were fed. And we're building a granary because the nations are going to be fed out of what God is going to do here. So I just want to throw that out there. And as part of my introduction, I want to kind of just briefly weave my way through Ephesians 4, just to define a whole thing about equipping and impartation, really. Because there are some of you, and we kind of take for granted, and we kind of do explain some of it in the What's Hope About, but I just wanted to kind of throw some stuff out there, because for some of you, it's a while ago since you heard this. Others of you... It's a little bit new, and I kind of wanted to kind of explain something, to kind of put some context to the conclusion that I'm going to have. And Ephesians 4 says this. It says that the risen Christ gave some people to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. 
Some people say that's the five-fold ministry because there's five of them. Others say, well, it's actually only four because pastors and teachers is one thing, but we're not going to quibble about that. The main thing is that, and I'm going to roughly kind of throw some stuff in about spiritual gifts as we go, but the main context you need to know with spiritual gifts is that there are some gifts that God gives that people have. So, for example, the gift of generosity, gift of miracles, gift of healings, gift of hospitality, that kind of thing, those are gifts that people have. There are other things which are, they are gifts, they are people. And the people themselves are gifts to the church to equip the body of Christ for gifts of ministry or gifts of service. So, for example, an apostle, a person doesn't have the gift of apostleship. The apostle is a gift to the body of Christ. A prophet is a gift to the body of Christ. An evangelist is a gift to the body of Christ. Pastor teachers are a gift to the body of Christ. Why? To equip God's people for works of service. And you'll gather from this verse, it's about works of service. That's why this is relevant. I think sometimes we need to just flag up because we can forget and we can think, well, actually, people have gifts. No, some people are gifts. And the reason they're giving is to, given is so that the spirit of the ascended Christ can equip his body to do the stuff. And that's the context why we meet together and why we receive some people, not that we kind of honor them for their position, but we receive the gift. So when somebody gives you, if it's your birthday, if it's Christmas, or it's just they feel like being generous to you, they give you a nicely wrapped gift, you kind of think, oh, that's nice, and you kind of unwrap it and you receive it. And you kind of think, oh, what's this? Now, sometimes at Christmas you have to be a little bit more diplomatic and kind of think, well, that's very kind of you. Which, that's a a line I cribbed from my brother-in-law, but you ought to have seen the jumper that that went alongside. But the thing is, this isn't about ghastly Christmas jumpers. This is about gifts which send us to the ends of the earth to achieve the purposes of God, not just in our generation, but in generations to come. I just want to kind of throw that out there, because this is a kind of slightly large thing, and I think God is wanting to lift our horizons this morning beyond just saving up a few quid for a building to touching the ends of the earth. Because... Part of our vision as Hope Church in Worcester is to be an apostolic resource base from which we don't just impact Worcester, but we impact the nations. That we have a group of people that will go in and out that don't just resource other churches, but resource nations in terms of equipping them to do the works of Jesus. And that's part of our, our, part of our inheritance and part of what God's promised us, to be an apostolic resource base which impacts a whole community and a whole region. And sometimes we say that and sometimes we don't. And we just need to keep throwing that out there so that we grab hold of it to think this is what God has called us to and this is our destiny. It's not just about putting some money into an old Victorian warehouse. It's about a storehouse that touches and feeds the nations and the ends of the earth. And so this whole thing with apostles, because we can... I'm going to caricature it slightly because at once, if you kind of get to some streams of kind of Christianity... It's all about God's anointed man of power for the hour, or God's anointed person of power for the hour, where there are people out there who do the stuff. That's generally accompanied by, sow your financial contribution into good soil that bears good fruit. Please send us your donations. Now, I am caricaturing that a little bit, but kind of, it's very much about the anointed individual who will generally broadcast their anointing and expect you to kind of help send them on their mission. On the other hand, it's a little bit, well, 
We're all children of God, and the anointing is accessible to all of us. But somewhere in between, we have to recognize that God does give anointed individuals, but actually they're to equip the body of Christ for works of service. And that's ultimately where I'm going with this. We're equipped and anointed for works of service and works of ministry. The same works of service and the same works of ministry that Jesus did. So you can look back through history, and there have been some people who probably wouldn't have used the title apostle, but you can look back and think, well, they they evidently were. I think John Wesley was clearly apostolic, starting churches, extending the kingdom of God, people getting saved. There are clear uh, descriptions of people getting healed through the ministry of John Wesley, signs and wonders. I think you can look back with the benefit of hindsight and say, well, John Wesley, clearly an apostle. You can look back and you probably make a good argument for C.H. Spurgeon being very apostolic, though I think he'd just described himself as an evangelist. But that's mainly because people were a little bit reserved about the A word, the gift that dare not speak its name. But these days we're a little bit more comfortable with recognizing people as apostles. So we, we recognize our own Terry Virgo in that kind of context. There will be others that Terry has now kind of handed on to, guys like Dave Devonish and so on. There'll be people where you look and you can see people like Heidi Baker, evidently gifted by God as an apostle, and going out planting churches and extending the kingdom. But it's not just that we can look and kind of think, oh, they're an apostle. It's that we take up the apostolic vision and we become an apostolic people. Because Jesus himself is an apostle. He's the great high priest and apostle of our confession. And Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Because apostle is about about being sent. That's the root meaning of the word. And the whole thing there is that God sent Jesus. The Father sent him. He sends us. And we need to embrace something of apostolic vision, of worldwide purpose and of going that is apostolic. Prophetic. So Gordon, for example, recognizes as a prophet. So, yeah, what's the difference between someone who prophesies and a prophet? A lot of people will say, well, it's down to maturity and it's down to accuracy. And I think by use of the gift, prophets do tend to be mature and they tend to be accurate. But it's about impartation and equipping. Because actually, we're meant to be a prophetic people. And so it's not just that we kind of venerate guys who come as prophets and venerate them. But it's that we embrace something of the equipping and the impartation to become a prophetic people. And I love the fact that we're getting more and more stories of, say, for example, a Dima in a supermarket sharing a word which she feels that God has given him for, had given her to someone randomly in the supermarket aisle, who then turns out to be Jane and Mike's next door neighbor. I've got your anointing now. So... Um, That isn't critical. True but harsh. I always used to remember names. I've got a little bit older. I now find that I forget them. Richard never remembered them in the first place. God bless his heart. So, as Joel pithily once said, my dad never forgets a name. He just never remembers them in the first place. But we all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. So, there is that sense there. So, like, as an evangelist, it's more about equipping... Otherwise, we all tend to think, well, of course, evangelism, that's the work of the evangelist. God bless Dave Collett. He's out there on the streets. I could put my feet up. No, actually, the evangelist equips the saints to be evangelistic. Because otherwise, it's kind of we have one polarization over there. Now, it's not that we don't do the stuff. 
But there's far more about impartation and equipping. And actually, if you want to know what it is to be evangelistic, hang around Dave Collett for a bit. You'll soon pick it up. Now, that's kind of the overview and the introduction of why I'm sharing what I'm sharing is because we want to grab something of going to the nations and doing the works of Jesus and being an apostolic community that goes and has a big vision. We want to be prophetic because we have something to say to this generation. We want to be evangelistic because we want to touch our nation and other nations with the gospel. And we want to be pastor teaching because we want to care for one another. We want people not just to be saved, but we want them to be made whole and shepherded into all the good pastures that God has for people. So they come into a community of wholeness. And that's our vision. And I want to just briefly fly through why this statement is important. And it's important for two reasons. It's important, important because of urgency and it's important because of unction. That's two years for you. But the importance of the urgency is because at this point in time, Jesus' life can be measured in hours. He knows he has gathered his closest friends together and he doesn't have days left in terms of his earthly life. He has hours and when you know that you're going away, you, you want to convey the urgent and important things to the people you love. Now, I am notorious within my family for being a little bit OCD, and generally in the car outside the house, I will, immortal, I will utter the immortal words, have you locked the door? Right on cue. Did I, did I, did I prompt you on that one? No. It's a lifetime of learning. Have you locked the door? Because that's important to me. Now, in my defense, I would like to point out that the reason I was asked that is that one of my offspring, not this one, actually left the door open. I came home one day to find the door open. Not unlocked open, open as in come on in and help yourselves open. So since that time, I feel a little bit justified in saying, have you locked the door? Now, it's not that I'm kind of obsessive-compulsive about this, though make your own mind up on that one. But to me, that is important. Before I drive off down the road, I want to know that the front door is locked. And Jesus has some things which he wants his disciples to know because he's about to be arrested, betrayed, tried on false charges, crucified, and buried. And he wants something to sustain them through those darkest hours, but yet also to envision them for when he rises again. But it's also unction because that's about anointing. And these are words which he is uttering because he's inspired by the Spirit. So he's revealing something of the Father heart of God to his people. And he knows that John, under the same unction and anointing and the same Holy Spirit, will record these words for posterity. And if you want a blessing, read these chapters of John of what Jesus shares with his apostles in the closing moments of his life because they are revolutionary. And one of the important statements that Jesus makes, he says, I tell you truly, very truly, the old versions say verily, verily, truly, truly. Jesus wants to double underline this in bold. It's a true statement. It's more than that. It's true. It's true. Whoever believes in me, will do the works I've been doing. 
Which leads us on to the second part, the inclusiveness of that statement. I I trust you've grasped the importance of it. We don't need to press that home too much. But I want to press home briefly the inclusiveness of that statement. This says whoever, and that's a very accurate rendering. Other versions, your version may say anyone who believes. Now, if we were in a certain stream of churches, I'd probably say, turn to your neighbor and say, anyone. Because, you know, they they do that, anyone. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine. We don't need to do that. But in your heart, I would like you to register, I'm anyone. I'm covered. It doesn't say anyone, and there's a little note there saying, by the way, that does not include Jim Harper. And that Jim Harper just got in by the skin of his teeth because when he wandered into Kemsey Chapel in his leather jacket, you know, kind of, he rather forced the issue with God and God had no choice. But some of you think a little bit like that. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. Jim wandered into Kemsey Chapel because the hand of God was on him and God had plans and purposes for him. And he's included in that statement, as are all of you. And if I'm pressing home that statement, it's a little bit because, and even at the risk of waking up my grandson, who is actually awake, but, um, but I need to press that home with a sense of urgency and a sense of almost the same sense of urgency that Jesus shared it with his disciples on the last night of his life. Guys, you need to get hold of this. Anyone who believes in me will do the same things that I've been doing. They'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, sometimes we're unbelieving believers because we kind of register it in our head, but we don't grab it in our heart. And we kind of write ourselves out because of various things. And some of you here this morning you may well write yourself out because you think, well, it's all right for you. You know, you come along and you tell us stories about how you've seen blind people healed when you prayed for them. You tell us stories about how you've seen people with terminal cancer then go and get full body scans and there's no trace of cancer in their body. You know, like, how do we match that? Well, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gives life to your mortal body has called you to go and do the same works that Jesus did with the same sort of urgency. There's no ifs, buts, it's whoever believes. Some of you will opt out because of disappointment and disillusionment because you've had things go wrong in the past. People have said stuff to you or things haven't worked out quite the way that you planned or the way that you felt that God had called you. And so you're then a little bit discouraged about going after new things or even revisiting the existing things that you felt that God had called you to because somehow or other, it didn't work out. And if you're here today and you're disillusioned and disappointed, I'd like to say one thing to you. Actually, it's kind of two things, really. It's okay to be disillusioned because actually sometimes you need your illusions dissed. But never let, your God, never let anyone diss your appointment. 
And if you're disappointed, you need to know that God has appointed you as his child, and he has appointed you to bear fruit. He's appointed you to do good works. He's appointed you to walk closely with him and to know his presence. Don't let disappointment keep you out of your appointment with Jesus. Thank you. Now, in case you think I'm kind of... The whole thing of applause is... They're not really applauding me. They're applauding, they're applauding something of the Spirit of God registering something in their heart. And that's okay. I'm just going to try... That's, that's my little sideline just to encourage you to be a little less British sometimes. Because when the Word of God comes... And this is what I say about interacting. It's not that I want you to massage my ego by applauding... Because actually, I'd like you to do it sometimes when Richard shares or when Jim shares. When the, when the Spirit of God echoes something in your heart and think, yes, that's right. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Because we need to get hold of that truth and nail it down in our own hearts. I've got that one. I'm having that. And if you're here today and you're disappointed and you know you're not as hungry as you were, because it's kept you out of seeking the purposes of God and your destiny actively, I'd love us to pray with you at the end. But when we move on to impact and impartation, it isn't just if you're discouraged, disillusioned, and disappointed. It's actually if you know that God has more for you. We want to press into this together to take the nations. We're going somewhere with this. So, this statement is important. It's inclusive, but there is a condition on it. Anyone who believes. And that's a statement about trust, really. Do you trust Jesus to do what he said he'd do? Because ultimately, this isn't just some random name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, huff it, puff it promise. This is something of Jesus expressing the father heart of God of, I want you to partner with me in doing some really exciting stuff. John Wimber always used to talk about doing the stuff. And actually, there's a lot of stuff to be done. And God has predestined some of those for you to walk into. But actually, you can opt out of those if you just don't believe and you dis-encourage yourself. And God wants to draw you in today and say, come on, have a go. Have a go. On the impact of the statement, Because some people have said, well, what does it mean to do the greater works of Jesus? Well, I'll give you my interpretation in a moment. But let's just draw back from that for a moment and just think, well, what if we only just did the works that Jesus did? Let's avoid being contentious. Let's just leave the thing about doing greater works to one side. What if as a community of people, we put our disappointment to one side We put our doubt to one side, and we dared to believe that little old you and little old me, or in some cases actually little young you and little middle-aged me, just did the same things that Jesus did. Now, okay, we're not going to die on a cross as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, but we can point people to it, and we can share how that's changed our life, And we can see other people sharing that too. 
we can look and think, well, what did Jesus had a sense of his identity and sonship, which manifested itself in some very interesting ways, even at the age of, probably they reckon it was about 12. His mother and father were on the way out from Jerusalem, and they were with a group of people, and they suddenly realized that Jesus wasn't with them anymore. And they went back and they found him in the temple, having a theological discussion with rabbis and so on. They said, well, didn't you know you'd find me in my father's house? He knew he was his father's son. You're your father's child. Doesn't necessarily mean that you have deep theological discussions with rabbis. But out of the sense of identity, you can flow and see God partner with you to do good things, to extend his kingdom. None of you is excluded as long as you trust Jesus to do it in you and through you. Jesus did some fairly heavy-duty miracles. He had compassion on the crowds, but he had time to stop for the one. You know, I do, I do wonder sometimes, you know, what was good. Jairus, the synagogue leader, says, my daughter is dying, will you come? And Jesus is going, and then suddenly he stops to have this conversation with a woman with a, an issue of blood, and talk to her about the fact that her faith has made her well. And you kind of would imagine Jairus saying, can I move on, Jesus, my daughter's dying. But kind of in the economy of God, Jesus knows, it's all right, I've got time to stop for the one. It doesn't matter if your daughter dies, because I'll raise her up. It's not that I don't have compassion on you, but I have compassion on her, and I'm doing what the Father showed me to do. So I've got all the time in the world because I can minister to this woman. And now let's move on and let's drive out these depressing paid mourners and see this little girl raised up from the dead. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And you see, it's hard to top in quality raising someone from the dead. That's a pretty heavy-duty miracle. But actually... Jesus does say, whoever believes in me will do the same things that I've been doing. And some of you need to have a why not me moment this morning. Now, some of you are fine with having compassion on people and ministering the love of God to people, and that is absolutely superb. I am not in any way putting that down. Because actually, that's one of the works of Jesus. We kind of disparage kindness a little bit, but it is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's what we express to people because we have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And by the way, it's not fruits, it's fruit, singular. One fruit, nine different flavors. Or segments, if you like, if you want to think in terms of tangerines. And I'm not saying... It's either or, but there is a sense of we are a miraculous people because we serve a miraculous God. Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, and his promise is actually we can do the same. Because we recognize the ministry of anointed gifts in our midst, it's to equip us so that we can express something of the body of Christ into the nations. And this is where I'm going to kind of tag along my own interpretation of greater works. Because 
Jesus says this, you'll do greater work because I'm going to the Father. In a nutshell, what that statement means is this, is I am going to the Father, I am going to be dead, I'm going to die, I am going to be buried, I am going to be raised from the dead, I am going to ascend to the right hand of God, and I will no longer be with you in body, but I will pour out the Holy Spirit, which is the same Spirit that lives in me, so that you can do exactly the same things that I do, and you can do them on a far bigger scale. Because the body of Christ in the first century was limited to one place, one time. Jesus only ever was in one place at one time. Because he was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, ministered in Judea, ministered in Samaria, ministered in Jerusalem. But that was where he was. With the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there is now a multiplication. And if you, to tie it in further with that Ephesians verse, you see that those gifts are given so that we could all attain to the fullness of the stature of the wholeness of Jesus to a mature man, a mature person, so that we can have something of the full-orbed, majestic body of Christ in the earth displaying the wonder-working, saving power, the healing, miraculous power of Jesus because we are his body. He is the head. He's in the heavens. The body decrees it. The head decrees it. The body does it. We do what we see the Father doing under the anointing of the same Holy Spirit. We have a job to do, but we have the means by which we can do it because Jesus has said, I'm going to the Father. And if I go, I will send you a comforter. That's not our there, there, there. Though if you need our there, 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 you get our there, there, there. <coughs> but you also get a bit, why are you discouraged? Come on, I'm in you. Let's go and do some stuff. Let's have an adventure today. Let's do some stuff. Let's do some stuff together. Let's do the same works that I did. And you know what? We can do greater works because there's more of us. Greater in terms of quantity. Because actually, I don't think you can top some of the stuff that Jesus did in terms of quality. But what we can do, and this is why I don't go for the kind of the man of, 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 or the person of faith and power for the hour, is because actually we need to see the body of Christ equipped. And if we have people of faith and power, it's so that we can demonstrate stuff. But the thing I like is that, because if I come along and tell you stories about terminal cancer and blind and deaf and all that kind of stuff, it pushes the faith level up. But yet it's when you hear stories of Colin Baggs, and, and I'm not kind of wanting to put a qualitative thing, but it's kind of, it's the rank and file of us. It's all of us going out and doing little stories where you think, I could do that. Do you know what? Because, and that's why James says, look, Elijah was a person like you, but he shut up the heavens for seven years. He was just a person who believed God. Colin's a person like you. He just dares to take the whoever in his hands and pray for a few people in the risk of looking at a bit of an idiot sometimes. Because people say, oh, yeah, but what if, what if nothing happens when I pray for someone? Do you know what? No one ever died from being encouraged. <clears throat> I knew a guy, used to lead a fairly large established church, and he was ministering after a meeting with another guy. And at the front of his prayer line came a girl in a wheelchair and her mother pushed her up for healing prayer. 
And the guy went to pray for her, and he said, you know, when I went to pray for her, there was, I, he said, I just felt the presence of God come up. I, he said, I couldn't pray. All I did was cried. Couldn't pray. And he, in his head, he was going, what on earth are you doing? You're meant to be an anointed minister. You can't even pray for this girl. All you're doing is bawling your eyes out. And after about three minutes of crying, when he finally composed himself, the mother hugged him and said, thank you so much for caring. Interesting, isn't it? God has sometimes wider plans and purposes. But my question to me is, what if you did start to reach out? What if you bawled your eyes out over a few people in the street? What if you exercised compassion? What if you exercised conviction? What if you exercised charismata? And the reason I throw that little bit of Greek in there is they are gifts of grace. They're not dependent on you. They're dependent on God. Because otherwise, they become works of grace. And so if you start to think, yeah, but I don't deserve them because I'm only little old me, you're starting to put them into the realm of works and not gifts. Gifts are dependent on the giver, not on the receiver. And these aren't so that you can think, hey, I've got a healing. It's that I've got a generation that needs to be healed and God dares to partner with me to see some of them transformed. What if some people did get healed when you prayed for them? Have a go. Have a go. Because I want to close in the whole sense of that impact with, well, are you hungry? Or have you got a bit complacent? Because I suspect it's, it's not that you kind of thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm walking away from this. But just occasionally, we just, we just get complacent. Life is busy. Stuff happens. Or we get discouraged. We get disappointed. Or we doubt. Or there's a whole raft of things that can mean that we don't grab hold of the purposes of God for the miraculous in our lives and the people around us. And we are a miraculous people. We've had the miracle of being born again. We've had the miracle of God pouring his Holy Spirit into our hearts. We can have the miracle of touching the nations because God has dared to call us to be an apostolic resource base for all of the nations. Be a granary. Where his word goes forth. But it's not just word as in good words. It's also good works. The same works that Jesus did. Dare I say it, the supernatural works of Jesus. Now, I am not naive or conceited enough to think that one prayer from me or any of the guys who would join in doing a prayer line now launches you into the same ministry of Jesus. But do you know what I am naive, naive enough to believe? Is that the same Holy Spirit that works in Jesus can do something in your heart if you, rece- if you receive it with faith and you dare to nail your colors to the mast and you dare to believe and step out. This is a progressive thing. And one or two of you, this is just a sense of just kind of broadening her- your horizons a little bit. And you've got to weigh it up and you've got to kind of count the cost and you've got to think it through not in the sense of just postponing the decision but some of you you need to kind of consider it but there are others of you who are saying where do I sign something in your spirit is saying where do I sign sign here right now I'm going to just ask us all to stand because 
I am stirred genuinely by the fact that lots of people are doing lots of things. Lots of compassionate stuff, and I'm really stirred by the, the sense of the kind of the healings and the words from God that we're delivering. But I'm going to ask you, if you want to make an impact and you know that God has called you to do more, that you come to the front. If you know that you have been disappointed, disillusioned, discouraged, and that's kept you out, I want you to come to the front. If you are just saying, God, I'm up for this, wherever this adventure may take me, I want you to come to the front.